Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, good evening, and here we are on Perut Kaf Zayin, Pasuk Kaf Tet. So, we're still in the brachot that Yitzchak is giving to his son, who apparently he thinks is Esav, but we know is actually Yaakov. And in Pasuk Kaf Tet, the bracha continues, and it says, Ya'avducha amim la'umim. Peoples will serve you, and nations will bow down to you, be strong or be, be the mighty one over your brothers. And the sons of your mother will prostrate to you. Those who curse you will be cursed. And those who bless you will be blessed. And Rashi's really got two comments. And really the style of Rashi is the same in both of them. In both comments, it's, uh, it's pure coincidence, I think, but I'll just mention it, is Rashi's pointing out that we have a similar but contrasting pasuk elsewhere. And Rashi is the one who explains why things, if they're similar but contrasting, why they should be. So the first comment is on B'nai Imecha, the sons of your mother. The Yaakov Omar Yehuda, B'nai Avicha. And Yaakov said to Yehuda, the sons of your father. This is a reference to Bereshit Perak Memtet Pasukhet in the brachat that Yaakov gave to his sons on his deathbed. He said, Yehuda ata yodecha achecha. Yehuda, your brothers will acknowledge you. Yodecha your hand will be on the nape of your enemies. Yishtachavu lacha b'nei avicha. The sons of your father will prostrate themselves to you. And yet here, it says the sons of your mother. So similar, same verb, but one is the sons of your father in the case of Yehuda, and here is the sons of your mother. So Rashi says, Because he, that's Yaakov, had sons from many mothers. So there's no point in saying to Yehuda, the sons of your mother shall bow down to you, because that would only be five other sons. And it would leave out the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah and, and Rochel. So it has to say the sons of your father to uncover all of his brothers, including half-brothers. The Khan, but here, Shalom Nasa Eila Isha Achat, where he only married one wife, that's Yitzchak, only had one wife. He's the only one of the other to do that. Omer, he said, B'nai Imecha the sons of your mother. So since Yitzchak's only got one wife and uh, there's no other wife from whom to have children, when he gives the bracha to whomever he's giving it to, that the sons of your mother will bow down to you, that must cover all possible brothers. Whereas in the case of Yehuda, if he'd said the sons of your mothers, it wouldn't cover all possible brothers. Interestingly, um, you can see clearly that there's, there's two options but one's the default and one's the variation. Which is the default and which is the variation? The mothers. Default is the mothers, because he has to explain why Yehuda doesn't get the mothers. He doesn't really explain why Yaakov Stregesov does. He has to explain why Yehuda doesn't. So why should it be that the sons of your mothers is more appropriate? So I did see one answer to that, that in the case of the sons of the father, there's automatically one son, not Yehuda, incidentally, one son takes precedence automatically. Who's that? The first Bukhar. one, the firstborn, the Bukhar. He gets the double portion. And that goes by the son of the father. The firstborn son of the father is the Bukhar. So you could say, and I'm not sure this is so convincing, or maybe I haven't understood it fully, that it's not such a big deal that one of the sons of the father will have dominion over the others, because that happens automatically. Although not to Yehuda as it happens, so maybe that doesn't work. Um, but in the case of sons of your mother, where there isn't an automatic hierarchy, it's more of a bracha to say, you will be the head of all the sons of your mother. And maybe that's why the, the, the default you might expect in, in this sort of situation, which doesn't occur very often in Chumash, is that the bracha is given um, in terms of the um, maternal brothers rather than the paternal. Okay, the next comment of Rashi, 
also is, as I said, pointing out that something here is similar but different to something somewhere else. On the words of those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. Says Rashi, Bilam, when he was forced to bless the Jewish people unwittingly, in Bamidba Perik Kafdalad Pasuk Tet, said, Those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. So, exactly the same words, just a different order. So, because you have those same idea, curses and blessing, rather, blessings to those who bless you, curses to those who curse you, and we have the same, uh, exactly the same blessing, as it were, here, the question Rashi asks is why is there a difference? Why is it not consistent that it should be one order or the other? So, Rashi says, for righteous people, at first they get the afflictions, and at the end they get the tranquility. So those who curse them and those who cause them trouble come first chronologically before those who bless them. Now, um, oh, let's keep going and we'll come back. Therefore, Yitzchak puts first the curse of those who curse you, because that's going to happen in your life first. And then comes the blessing of those who bless you, because that's what's going to happen later, because that's the way it is with Sadiqim. Harashayim, but for wicked people, Techilatan Shalva, for Sofan Yisurim. For wicked people, they have the tranquility first and then they get the affliction. And therefore, Bilam put the bracha before the klala, the blessing before the curse. So there's a few things to say. The basic idea is when you're talking to Sadiqim, you acknowledge that they're going to have trouble first and tranquility later. So you talk about those who curse you first, and then you talk about those who bless you. When you're talking to Rashayim, it's the other way around. Now, there's a few problems. The first problem is Bilam is talking to Klal Yisrael. So it doesn't quite work that Bilam is acknowledging that Klal Yisrael, who are presumably Sadiqim or relatively Sadiqim, should get their curses first and their blessings second. He doesn't do that. So if you take Rashi literally, when you're talking to a Tzaddik, you should say curses followed by blessings. But Bilam, when he's talking to Khal Israel, says blessings followed by curses. Understand the question? So you have to say that it's not about whom you're talking to, it's about the mindset you come with. So it's not so much about the person being blessed, about the person giving the blessing. So Yitzchak, he's sensitive in his own life to curses followed by blessings. So he gives a reference to curses followed by blessings. Bilam, who's not a tzaddik, he's a rasha, as we've just explained, is sensitive in his own life to blessings followed by curses. So he talks about blessings followed by curses, even when he's talking to Klal Yisra. Um, it's not for me to amend the text of Rashi with no basis for it whatsoever. But if it were, <laughs> I wonder if it would make more sense to answer the problem I've just partially answered. I maybe but Rashi's referring to a different puzzle. As I say, I've got no basis for this whatsoever, except it makes sense. But there's no text that says this. So I just offer. When Balak hires Bilam, for midba kafbet pasuk vav, Balak says, Ki adarti et asher tavareich mavarach et asher ta'or you are. I know, says Balak to Bilam, that those whom you bless will be blessed and those whom you curse will be cursed. And that's perfect, because that's Russia talking to Russia. So that, that would fit better with the way Rashi presents it. But two problems with that. Number one, in the, the, the Pasuk that is in our Rashi is got the exact same words, just in a different order, as the bracha from Yitzhak to Yaakov, whereas the words from Balak to Bilam aren't exactly the same words. And number two, what a chutzpah it is for me to suggest that our text of Rashi is wrong. But I just sort of point out that we do have blessing followed by cursing in relation to Bilam when you're talking to Bilam. Which, which fits a bit better. Uh, he gets curses followed by blessings, I'm pretty sure. Beginning of Lech Lecha, Perik Yibet. 
yes, I thought of that, and I think. Oh, 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 wow. Oh, Hosea Gimel, blessings followed by curses. Okay, well, I, I did actually think of that, but obviously I didn't check it carefully enough, because that's a big question to which I don't have an answer. That's Hashem talking to Abraham. Maybe. I this is perfect. If he was like, no, I'm not going to say it. Okay. All right, okay, okay. <laughs> can turn the tape off. Um, okay. Um, the next thing is, which, which might shed light on this, I don't know, is what does it mean that Sadiqim Techilatam Yisurim Vesopon Shalva? So there's two possibilities, obviously. One is it's all in this world, and the nature of Sadiqim is they toil and they toil and they toil, and that's how they start off life. And then, uh, because they're, they're, not instant, they're not interested in instant gratification, that's the difference between Yaakov and Esau, by the way. Esau needs the soup now. Yaakov is prepared to wait. Um, so Tzadikim are prepared to wait for their bracha. So they struggle and struggle and struggle. They, they work on their middles. They learn Torah. They, they uh, undergo challenges. And hopefully, they later on get, they, they get the gratification, just not instantly. Um, the trouble with that is it doesn't always happen. So I'm not quite sure how Rashi could say that as if it's a devayadur, but it always happens. Um, the famous Rashi at the beginning of Ayesha fits in quite nicely with what we're saying right now, is that it says that Yaakov expected to live that uses that word, is Rashi at the beginning of Ayesha, and Hashem said, do you think you, you're ready to retire? Nah. And then he has to try, he's had trouble all his life, from Esau, from Lavan, death of Rachel, um, and now he has trouble with Yosef. Uh, so that's, that's, Rashi says, that Hashem said to Yaakov, you think it's now time for Shalva? It, it ain't. So, which leads me to the second option of understanding Tehillatam Yisurim, the and Shalva, as referring to Olam Hazat and Olam Haba. That Sadiqim, they get their reward, and they get a good reward in Olam Haba. And Sadiqim, sorry, Rashaim don't. Rashaim, as we know it from many sources, sometimes Hashem chooses to give them their reward in this world, which means they lose out on their reward in Olam Haba. So that fits quite nicely with um, uh, Tehilatan Shalva in this world, the Sofim Yisurin, but they get paid back in Olam Haba. Um, the trouble with that, though, I'm still not entirely satisfied, is, is because if you're talking about Olam Haba, um, that it, it's not that somebody blesses you in Olam Haba, or, or conversely, somebody curses you in Olam Haba. That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is, is meeting out the reward and punishment. Um, if the Shalva is Olam Haba, then who is the Mavarech? Who are the Mavarechim, plural? That, that's, that's hard. So I, I haven't got better answers to that. That's the sort of discussions that, that we find on this comment of Russia. Could it be like the future generations rather than your particular lifetime? That's also not fitting in literally with the words, but then nor is Olam Hazan Olam Haba. Um, possibly, possibly. So the other struggle and the later generations reap the benefit. I mean, the key point is we have to find um, cursing prior to blessing. That's the key point. And the reverse in the lives or the, the ultimate lives or the uh, eternal lives of Roshayim. So anything that, that, uh, that indicates curses followed by blessing for Sadiqim will to some extent satisfy. But uh, the two explanations I've given and, and what you've said, um, I don't, I, they're not problem-free in terms of understanding. Okay, Pasuk Lamad. And it was when Yitzchak finished blessing Yaakov, and it was ach. Ach is a funny word. It doesn't usually get translated, but it means some sort of but or just. Yatsa Yatsa Yaakov. Yaakov went out, went out. Me'ait Pene Yitzchak Aviv from the face of Yitzchak or from being in front of Yitzchak, his father. The Esav Achiv Ba Mitzedo. And Esav, his brother, came from the hunting. Says Rashi. Now, um, some texts say the Rashi's opening words are quoting Yatsa Yatsa, and others have Ach Yatsa Yatsa. And it is a dispute amongst the commentators of Rashi and amongst the original manuscripts of Rashi, whether the word ach should be included there. But either way, Rashi's comment is, This one went out and this one came in. 
And let's just understand the drasha and then the implication. So if it's if we don't include the word ach, then yatsa yatsa um, is sort of he went out, but he hadn't yet finished going out. His going out was going out. Not quite sure exactly how you make it work, but the going out was an incomplete going out because before he'd gone out, Asaf had come in. Perhaps it's easier if we do include the ach as some text let's just do a poll. Whose whose text includes the ach in Rashi's only word? Okay, that it's curly brackets. Curly. curly. Yeah. When Artscroll puts it in curly brackets, it's sort of saying it's not really there, but it is there in some original manuscripts. So it's really debatable. Ach is is often darshaned as as a miut, as a limitation. Uh, in fact, Chazal habitually, if they come across an ach in the Chumash, say, well, it means not all of it. So that fits quite nicely. He hadn't quite gone out. He had partially gone out. Um, now, what, what's, the, what's the meaning of what's going on? You see, if we hadn't had that comment of Rashi, Esav Achiv Ba Mitzedo. What does that mean? Esav, his brother, came from his hunting. So without Rashi, what would you have understood as the order of events here? Esav comes in from the hunting, and where does he go? He goes to the kitchen. What's he brought in from the hunting? Dead animal. Dead animal. He's a long way before he's ready to serve Yitzchak. And if you read it like that, then there's no drama because Yitzchak, uh, Yaakov's gone. He's out on his way. He's back in his tent. And uh, Esav's in the kitchen. So there's going to be a long gap between one going out and one coming in. So Rashi tells you that's not what happened. When it says Esau Bamitsido, it doesn't mean he came in from the field at that moment. It means he was ready now to come in to Yitzchak with the fully cooked food. And that Zer Yotzev is Zerba, which of course explains the, the drama that's about to unfold and the, uh, the great trembling which we're about to see. And he also made tasty things, and he brought it to his father. By the way, I've just noticed, I haven't noticed this before. That sounds like the shot that Rashi is rejecting. It sounds like Esau came in from the field, from the hunting. He then went into the kitchen, and then, and then he brought it to his father. So Rashi is saying it's not like that. It's not like what it sounds. It's once they meet each other in the doorway. Anyway, he said to his father, Kum Yakum Avi. And we've already talked about because Rashi's already pointed out that Yaakov said the same thing, but in a nicer fashion. And that was uh, uh, provoked part of the questioning of Yitzhak. So Kum Yakum Avi, get up, my father, and eat, mitzed bano from the hunting of your son, in order that your soul can bless me. No, Rashi? Okay. I don't know if there's a, I'm not sure about the English term, but is there a way you actually say, um, also, Asaf, is there a tense that had cooked thing? Is that, is that, I know this is like a perfect tense, I think it is. Could that, is there a way that that can be translated in this way, that also Asaf had made Matamim, so that, that solves Rashi's issue, if that makes sense? Okay. Um, Possibly, it's too perfect that you're looking for, that Aesop had cooked the matamim. Now, Hebrew doesn't have a pluperfect, which means when you have a past tense, you could read it as a pluperfect. Slight problemet, Rashi on Bereshit Peredala Posuk Aleph establishes a rule that um, if the subject precedes the verb, you read it as pluperfect. Um, on the words of Adam Yada et Chava Ishto, which I won't go into now, we actually have had, um, and and uh, there's a particular implication um, uh, that you can learn from that Rashi, but we won't talk about that right now. Um, so I'm tempted to say no, because here we have verb followed by subject, which according to Rashi's rule implies perfect rather than proof perfect. Having said that, you could possibly read it like that, and that would, um, and maybe, maybe you're right, maybe Rashi is reading it like that based on his previous comment, um, and that then makes, makes sense. Okay, there is no Rashi on Lamed Aleph. On Lamed Bet, there's also no Rashi. Yitzchak Aviv, mi ata? Yitzchak said to him, who are you? You can see that despite Rivka's best efforts, assuming this would go smoothly, Yitzchak is, is quite concerned to check who is in front of him. Vayomer, and he said, Ani bincha By the way, we talked last week and the week before 
about how Rashi is at great pains to, I would put it, minimize Yaakov's non-truth-telling. Anochi Esau Pecharecha, I am I, Esau is your firstborn. Um, perhaps what we should have said is part of what is pushing Rashi in this direction is like we've seen today and like is a very common feature of Rashi, the contrast with this verse. Because Esau is asked the same question and he answers differently. So the fact that Yaakov answers differently leads Rashi to ask, why does he answer differently? And then he gives the answer that he gives, which is to minimize the non-truth telling. But Esau's answer is, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Um, it just occurs to me again just now, um, there's an idiom in Hebrew about Rachel Bitcha Katana, Rachel, your younger daughter. And what's the origin of that? It's a, based on a right. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idiom when you're being very precise. And it's based on Rashi, that when Lavan says to Yaakov, which of my daughters do you want to marry? He says, Rachel Bitcha Katana. I want Rachel, I want your daughter, I want the younger daughter. And Rashi says there, because Yaakov knew that Lavan was a bit of a trickster, a big bit of a trickster. And if he just said Rachel, then he might take another girl and change her name to Rachel. So it has to be Rachel, your daughter. And if it's Rachel, your daughter, he might just swap the names of Leah and Rachel. So he has to say Katana, Rachel, your younger daughter, which he thinks leaves Lavan with no wriggle room. And, and Rashi says, even so, Yaakov defeated him. And it just, I just notice here that Esav says, Ani, Bincha, Bacharecha, Esav, it's almost the same, um, uh, the same number of uh, descriptions. Uh, in order to make the point, I am definitely Aesop. Okay, no Rashi on that. But then there's a lot of Rashi on Lamad Gimel. So I'll translate Herod as we normally do, as in tremble, as in Haredim. So Yitzchak trembled a great trembling. Rashi is going to change that in a minute. Admaod, very great. And he said, Mi Efo, who? Hatsad Sayid, Who, well, Eifel Rashi is also going to explain, so we'll leave it out for a moment. Who is he who trapped game and brought to me, and I ate Mikol from all, the Terem Tavo, before you came, Avarachechu, and I blessed him, Gam also he will be blessed. Now, I want to start by saying what Rashi holds by Gam um, we won't see the Rashi now, but I just want to tell you that Rashi says that is Yitzchak confirming that Yaakov has got the brachot and, and, and being agreeing with that. And everything that Rashi has to say, I think should be seen in that light. That Yaakov's conclusion, sorry, Yitzchak's conclusion, when suddenly, uh, you can say the scales fall from his eyes, suddenly he has a moment of revelation and he knows that Yitzchak Yaakov was the not only was the recipient of the bracha, but the deserving recipient of the bracha. Um, and that's why he says, He, the one who got those bracha, Yaakov, will be blessed. And the way Rashi understands that, that is Yitzchak, Yitzchak, confirming the bracha to Yaakov. And I think we have to see everything else Rashi says in that light. So let's start. He, we up to now, we said this trembled. Katargumo v'utava. The Targum translates it as utava, which means he wondered, as in was, was questioning, was perplexed. Now, I saw a commentary that said, this is unique for the Targum to translate trembling or harad in this way, because elsewhere, the Onkelos translates harad as vaza, zayin ayin, which means to tremble. Um, E.g. see Bereshit Membet Kavchet. The trouble is, if you look in Bereshit Membet Kavchet, it says uh, the plural form of Utava, like the same as here. So I can't say that it's so exceptional, but it is fairly exceptional. Uh, and what I'm saying is it's not the only time that the Targum translates Chet Reish Dalad as Tof Vav Hey, meaning to wonder, because I saw at least one other case, but there are certainly other cases where it translates it as tremble. Um, so Rashi makes the point that in this particular case, it doesn't mean tremble. It means Russian tamia, an expression of wonder. So Yaakov, Yitzchak, I'm sorry, I keep getting that wrong. Yitzchak is not trembling. He's wondering. 
Why isn't he trembling? This is what I've set us up for. Because he's not bothered. He's not bothered that the wrong, wrong person's got the bracha, because he now knows the right person's got the bracha, got the bracha because that's what Rashi's going to say. So it can't be a trembling as in a fear. And then Rashi gives another explanation, umidrasho. The Midrash says, ra'ah gehinom petucha mitachtav. He saw Gehenim open underneath him. Now, uh, lots to say. First of all, there's two explanations here of Rashi. The first is, he translate Beherad Katagumo as Utava, which is a Lashon Tamiya. It means he was wondering. And then there's a Midrash. Now, what does the Midrash say? He saw Gehenim open before him. Now, Rashi doesn't spell out what that implies, but I think it's pretty obvious that that implies that he was trembling. He was scared. So the second explanation gives him something to be scared about. What's he not scared about? He's not scared about giving the bracha to the wrong son. That's what I've said. He's not scared about that. So how do we deal with the fact that the Pasuk says he's trembling? Answer number one, we reinterpret the word trembling and mean, it mean not trembling. Answer number two, he's trembling, but for a different reason. What's very interesting from a Pashanut point of view is he brings the Midrash because it's closer to Peshat. What do I mean? The Midrash, the second explanation, which is Midrashic, gates of Gehenna open. I mean, that's pretty Midrashic. It's not like in the Pshat, the story. But it means we can translate Chered in the Pshat way. Because the simple meaning of Chered is definitely tremble. So you have to go to a Midrash in order to give the simple meaning of Chered, which is just one of many examples of how Pshat and Drash sort of inter interrelate. And it's, uh, it, the, the, the division between them is rarely so clear cut. Yes. In terms of not being worried about having blessed the wrong son, what and being worried that due to the opening of Gehenna beneath him, what like why now? Um, I'll answer. Okay, so it's interesting that Rashi here is not quite quoting the midrash precisely. The midrash which we don't know exactly what is Rashi's sources, but we can guess it's usually Bereshit Rabba, especially if the rest of it fits. Uses Lashon, He saw that Gehenim entered with him. Who's him? Esau. So that fits a little bit better than the gates of Gehenim being open. That he, this is the moment he realizes that Esau is not the Sadiq, he's the Russia. And in with Esau comes Gehenim because that's where again Aesop sort of belongs. Contrast nicely, by the way, with what did, when Yaakov came in and Yitzchak smelt the skins on Yaakov's arms, what did he remind, what did that remind him of? Gan Eden. Now when Aesop comes in, what comes in with him? Gehenim, opposite of Gan Eden. Um, does that sort of answer, or does that, with that word version, it does sound better? Yeah. Okay, so then the question is, why doesn't Rashi use those words? So the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Zion Omad Aleph, says, in the name of Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Omar Rabbi Yochanan, sorry, Yonatan, Leolam Yire Dayan Atzmo, Keilu Cherev Menuchatlo, Ben Yerokatav. A judge is why it's in Sanhedrin. A judge should always see themselves as if a sword is placed between their shoulders. And Gehenim is open in front of or underneath him. In other words, Rashi takes the lotion of the Gemara here, rather than, which is not directly related, but he picks up those words of the Gemara rather than the words of the Midrash. He used the words Gehenim Patucha Lo identical words to what we see in the Gemara. Because now, what's the connection? Why, why does Rashi go to that Gemara to find words? Because what is Yitzchak at this moment? A judge. He's judging between the sons. And the message of that Gemara is not about Yitzchak and Yaakov and Esau. It's about when you're judging, you should realize how uh, uh, auspicious your task is and how critical it is that you get it right and how disastrous it can be if you get it wrong. And I think that's what the Gemara means by Gehenim is open in front of you that if you get it wrong, you can fall in. That's how close you are. So it doesn't mean you're in Gehenna. It doesn't mean, unlike the words of the Midrash, Gehenna has come in. 
But because you're performing an act of judicial decision-making, the gates are open and you could cast a shalom fall in. And so perhaps Rashi is incorporating that idea of the Gemara because Yitzchak is performing the role of a judge. He's judging which son is worthy and he's got to get it right. And he has got it right. But that would explain also why he's trembling. Based on what I've just said, that he is fulfilling the role of a judge and he's got to get it right. I, that, that's why Gehenna is open before him and, and you'll understand that he trembles because maybe he's got it wrong um, that's what he's worried about not that he has got it wrong by the way so again even with this second explanation Rashi's not going back on the fact that he thinks he's got it right but he's just got to be aware of, of how important it is okay then Rashi has something in the words on the word me afo. now the problem with afo is obvious what is it doing there? And what does it mean? Now, we, because we're familiar with modern Hebrew, know the word afo means when. So it doesn't make any sense to mean that. And he said, me, afo, who, hatsad, sayid. Who, when, is he who trapped game? That doesn't make any sense. So what is afo doing here? And what does it mean? And Rashi says, me, afo, loshan la'atzmo. Now, the problem here is it's very unclear what Rashi means. What does he mean by it? it's an expression, for itself? And then he says, uh, uh, it serves with many things. And then he says, where is he here? Me who? Who is he? The Eifo who had said Sayyid. And where is he who trapped game? Now, uh, it's also worth pointing out, again, we have an interesting um, variant text in this Rashi. And I'll ask you again if your sources say Devar Acher before the word Eifo Eopo. Yes, you've got a Devar Acher? You haven't. Okay, again, it's, uh, it's, there's, there's no proof one way or the other. But it actually makes a big difference to how we read this Rashi. Um, Let's start by reading it. We imagine there's a Devar Acher before the word Eifel. So there's two separate explanations. And the first explanation says, Eifel is a Loshon La'atzmo. And according to this way of reading this Rashi, we can say La'atzmo means it's not a Murkav, it's not two words stuck together, it's an independent word. And it's an independent word which means many different things. Mishameshim Kama Devarim. For instance, um, in Bereshit Lamad Zion, Pasuk Tet Zion, it clearly means where. In Yeshaya Kafbet Pasuk Aleph, it clearly means now, as in Ata. In Shoftim Chet Yud Chet, it means how, as in Ech, as in how are you. So, Meshamesh Bekama Devarim, it can mean many things. Devar I'll now give you another explanation that contradicts the first one. The first one said, Lashon La'atzmo, it's a word which is not composed of other words. It's got its own independence. The second explanation says quite the contrary. It's a word which is a combination of aye fo, fo to be precise, because it follows a unclosed syllable. Aye fo, where is here? Which then Rashi expands to mean, me who, the eifo who had sad sayit. Who is he and where is he, the one who trapped game, i.e. the person who brought me the food a little while ago? So Ayepo means who, where is the one who was here? We have to add that in. Ayepo still doesn't make sense. Where is here? So it means Yitzchak is saying, where is the one who was here? Which Rashi spells out by me who ba'ifa who had sad sayid. So you're now telling me your of. Where is the person who was just here? And by the way, because of Rashi on Yatsa Yatsa, he really was just here. So what's going on? Where's the other guy? Yitzchak, who's blind, saying, where's the other guy who was just here? And so two explanations separated by Debar Acher. The first one is Eifo means it's an independent word and it means all sorts of things. And Rashi doesn't actually spell out what it means here. Um, and there are, uh, there's a good reason for that, uh, which I'll come to in just a moment. And the second explanation is Eifo is a composite word and it means Aye Po. Um, in Mem Gimel Pasuk Aleph, um, we also find the word Eifo. 
And uh, when, when Yaakov is telling the sons, yes, they can go back to Yosef for the second time, but they should take some um, bits of food with them as a gift and use the words Efo. And it's hard to exactly understand what Efo is doing in that Pasuk. Mem Gimel Pasuk Aleph, you're looking there? Um, sorry, Yud Aleph. Mem Gimel Yud Aleph. Um, and okay, you're looking there. And Rashi says, you can tell me what Rashi says. Ben. On that word, Efo? Yes, yeter. It's extra. It's superfluous. It doesn't add to the meaning. That's what Rashi says in Mem Gimel Yud Aleph. It's like stylistic, and that perhaps is what he means here. That we just can read it as if it's not there. Second way of reading this whole Rashi, which is quite different, is if we take out the Devarcher, then we're not having two different meanings. That the second one is actually the exemplification of the first. And then we've got a big problem with how we understand the word la'atzmo. Because la'atzmo now cannot mean it's not composed of two words, because then Rashi goes on to say, it is composed of two words. So la'atzmo means perhaps uh, not a preposition. Um, most, some Hebrew words must always be read in conjunction with another word, key. Key because, because something. La or el, el to something. Some words are prepositions or conjunctions. No, prepositions. Um, and afo, which might mean where is he, but doesn't have to. So la'atzmo means it can be read as an independent word, not adjoining something else. And in this case, that's what it is. Aye po is an independent word. It's not leading on to something else. It's like self-contained. Self-contained, that's what I'm looking for. So again, sorry, it's taken a long time. Uh, but the presence or the absence of the Dvar changes everything. With the Dvar Afo is a word la'atzmo, which perhaps means not a composite word. It's a word by itself. And Rashi doesn't actually translate it because, as he says elsewhere, it's mutar, it's, it's superfluous. It doesn't actually add to the meaning. Dvar second explanation. Here it is composed of two words stuck together, and it means where is the one who was here. Alternative way of reading Rashi, without the devarcher, afo is a word that is not dependent on other words to join to it, as is the case here. And here it's, it's standing by itself, but it consists of two words stuck together, ayeho. Okay, I think that's it on that Rashi. And the next Rashi on the words for achal mikol. So I ate from all. If we go back to the Pasuk, um, where, who Yitzchak says, where's the other guy who brought me the food? The ochal mikol, and I ate from all. So Rashi says on the words for ochal mikol, mikol ta'amim shebikashti litom ta'amti bo. From all the tastes that I wanted to taste, I tasted in it. What's the problem? What word is Rashi problem uh, perplexed by and is solving? The word mikol, from all. What is that doing here? Because if you look carefully at the passage, we could have managed without of it completely. So, me, Efo, who, Hatsad, Sayyid, Vayavei, Li, Ochal. And I ate. What's mikol, from all? So Rashi says, there's a word missing, as it were, from all tastes. Rashi brings a midrash. It is not pshat. Uh, it's based on the midrash itself and says that Yaakov could taste in the food that Yaakov brought, sorry, Yitzchak could taste in the food that Yaakov brought, this wondrous, miraculous um, smogersboard of desired tastes. Why is that helpful? Because it helps to convince that Yitzchak that Yaakov is the one who has miracles on his side, that Yaakov is bringing something to him. He now knows that Yaakov was the first guy, and Yaakov brought him something which tasted miraculously wonderful. That's what Rashi adds. But what drives Rashi to add that is the problem of the word Nikol. And then, as promised, on the words, Gam Baruch he is also blessed. Shalom, says Rashi, Shalom Tomar. People should not, it should not be said, you should not say, Ilule Shurima. If he had not, now we're going to come to the word rima in a minute, but we'll leave it at the moment as tricked. You should not say that it 
it was only, I'm, I'm changing it slightly to make it better English. It was only because Yaakov tricked his father, or I'll go back to the first one. If Yaakov had not tricked his father, lo natal et brachot, he would not have received the brachot. Lakach, he skimmed, that's to this, Yitzchak agreed, ubarcho mitato, and blessed him from his knowledge. In other words, blessed him from his awareness. He now is absolutely aware that the first food bringer was Yaakov. And according to Rashi, means even though I now know that he was not the one I thought he was, I am saying that he is blessed. And that's Midato. That's with Yitzchak knowing full well that he's now blessing Yaakov. Now, what, what leads Rashi to say this? Um, how does he understand So he doesn't need to bless him again. Why doesn't he need to bless him again? Yitzchak doesn't need to bless Yaakov again. I mean, Rashi actually answers very nicely to the extent that he might not understand the question. But before Rashi, why doesn't Yitzchak need to bless Yaakov again? Because he's done it once. He's blessed him once. He's gave him a blessing. So Gambaruchiyah cannot mean, oh, I want to give him another blessing. It must mean I am confirming the blessings I've already given. Because otherwise it makes no sense. Um, and there's also... And this is included in the opening words of Rashi, gum. Even he will be blessed. Or also he will be blessed. Also now that I know who he is. So this is the culmination of this verse. This is the verse where it all changes. Um, why does it all change? Well, according to Rashi's second interpretation of uh, the Gehenim, um, not, we, we didn't say it came in with Esau, but I went out of my way to say it. He's not saying it came in with Esau, but the Gehenim makes Yitzchak aware of the enormity of the choice. We've also seen the blessing that there was in Yaakov's food, because it gave all those lovely tastes. Um, we also now see the contrast between Yaakov, when I say we, I mean Yitzchak, sees the contrast between the way Yaakov approached him and spoke to him in a nice way, and that now that's become sort of complemented by the way Aesop speaks to him in a not nice way. It all comes together, and he realizes Yaakov is deserving of the brachot. And according to Rashi, he's saying, please, nobody should say, now I've reached this realization, nobody should say that Yaakov only got the brachot through trickery. I am now endorsing the brachot in a non-trickery manner. You're looking perplexed? Uh, no? Okay, good. Okay, that covers Pasuk Lamad Gimel. And we go on to Lamadalat. Kishmoa Esav et divrei aviv. When Esav heard the words of his father, Vayitzak tsa'aka gadola umara ad ma'od. He cried out a loud, a great and bitter cry very much. A very great and bitter cry. Vayomala aviv barcheni gam ani avi. And he said to his father, bless me, also me, my father. By the way, this isn't Rashi, but it's just such a good vort that it has to be said. Who cried, who else cried aloud a bit of cry? Who was it? Mordechai. And why is that Midah Midah? Because whom was he crying about? Haman Hagagi. Haman Hagagi, descendant of Esau. And Mordechai is a descendant of Yaakov. So here, Esau cries the uh, and there's a response that the Mordechai ends up crying, uh, uh, but not Admaod, not Admaod. So it's not a perfect Midakanegi Mida. You know why? Because Esau deserved it. Okay, so Esau's cry, Esau's pain is greater than Mordechai's pain. It wouldn't be just if Esau's pain was precisely replicated as Mordechai's pain, because Esau did deserve some of that pain. Maybe he didn't deserve all of it. And that's why Mordechai has to suffer some of it. But Mordechai doesn't suffer quite as much as Aesop did. It's not Adma Od. Anyway. Yes, please. Say that again. Uh, Esther has like, like, Ah, it's not Saka. Esther or Mordechai? Mordechai. Yes. Sorry. You said uh, yes, the vort only works if you say a tsa'aka and a tsa'aka are the same thing. I mean, it goes nicely with swapping like tsa'ida and tsa'ida. So 90 is, uh, you're saying 90 is a bit worse than seven or 
Sarkar with Sadi is a bit worse than oh, Sarkar no. with Zion. I just meant it like if we're being like brutal with our ability to stop Sadi's and Zion's, then it, it like it bears well with like stopping Zaid and Zaid and like Zadon and like, yes, I see what you mean. Yes, yes, okay, yes. Um, yeah, um, they they like, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know enough examples to say they're definitely interchangeable, but they're they're pretty close. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Okay. No Rashi there. Lamurvav vayomer ba achicha b'mirma vayakach birchatecha. So, sorry, we uh, I just need to dwell on lamadalot. Asaph, crying his louder bitter cry, says, Is there, can you bless me? And Yaakov Yitzchak, Yitzchak says, I can't, there's a problem because your brother got the lot. He took your blessing. So there's nothing left. Turns out there is something left. And by the way, it also turns out there was something left all along, but we'll come back to that quite a bit later. Um, but the word that Rashi is going to comment on is the word Bamirma. So we would normally translate that as your brother came in guile or in trickery and he took the bracha. Rashi says, no, 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 no. Bamirma means Bachachma, with wisdom, which is very, very different from Mirma. Now, why does Rashi say this? Now, the first thing to say is Rashi says this elsewhere. Um, and I think a very good example is Perak um, Lamadala when Dina has been kidnapped by Shechem and Shechem comes to speak to Yaakov and Yaakov's sons and proposes a deal, um, but they'll all join together and literally be one big happy family. And the Pasuk there says, The Bnei Yaakov answered Shechem and Chamor his father, same word. And they spoke uh, against or with those who had um, uh, disgraced Dina, their sister. And what they propose is they say, you've all got to be circumcised. And the plan all along was when they were on the third day after circumcision, when they were at their weakest, that Shimon and Levi would come in and wipe the place out, basically, and rescue Dina. Um, so it sounds like that's the Miramar. It's a pretty low trick to play. But Rashi says it's not Miramar. It's Chachma. And um, I think it's reasonable to say that Rashi doesn't think that the Avot and the Shifteka committed Miramar as in Gael. Um, he thinks that what the brothers of Dina did was the right thing to do, was a wise thing to do, was a thing of Chachma, not a thing of Mirama. Um, uh, certainly not for now, in fact, not for the Shia. It's a fascinating discussion of how the Mephorshim view the actions of Shimon Levi, were they justified or not. Uh, the Ramban's got a lot to say. The Rambam uh, is brought into this. It seems that Rashi, who doesn't have much to say on it, but this is the crucial comment of Rashi, one word, Sounds like he is approving because he takes Mirama from what might be its usual meaning and replaces it by Chochmah. And he does the same here, um, which I think uh, makes a statement and also answers a question. It makes a statement that Yaakov in Rashi's eyes is not acting with guile, with trickery, but he's doing the right thing. Now he's doing it in a tricky way. He's dressing up, he's pretending, he's possibly lying, although, um, as Rashi says, we've talked many times, Rashi minimizes the extent of the lie. But there is a deception, there's a deception. But it's a deception which is not castigated in a negative light. It's not a deception through, let's use the English words, through guile, but it's a deception through wisdom. Um, so a deception through wisdom is not something that's so bad. And it's not something that we should be asking, you know, how could Yaakov Avinu, Titan Emet Yaakov, have to do, uh, no, how could he do that? He did something for Chochmah. He did, and Chochmah is at, at worst a neutral term, at best a positive term. You want to answer the question, which I've often been bothered by. I actually didn't see this anywhere. This is just for me. That if Mirma is something negative, then what is Yitzchak doing by telling Esau that your brother is a trickster? 
it's not helpful. It's not going to help the family dynamics. And it's Lashon Hara. It's actually worse than Lashon Hara. You could argue it's Rechilas because it's not necessarily true. Rashi's answered that at one stroke. By saying the word Mirama means Chachma, now suddenly Yitzchak is not saying something negative about Yaakov. So the question of why does he say this to Esau and how can he speak Lashon Hara is, is taken away because it's not a negative thing. But I also, you've all got Chumash Barashas, so you probably won't be able to look up Shemot, you can. Shemot Tetvav Pasachet in the Shira, where Moshe is describing what happened at Yam Suf. And he says, with the uh, breath of your nostrils, referring to Hashem homiletically, the waters ne'ermu. What's ne'ermu? So it's not quite the same root because it's got an iron. Um, but irons can fall away from roots. We normally translate that. How does uh, Mr. Corrin translate that? Have you got the English there? You haven't. Okay. Normally translate is piled up. The waters piled up. Nitzvu, um, they stood upright. Kamoned, like, well, Rashi's got a long discussion of what Ned is. Um, but it's referring to the waters piling up. But Rashi doesn't translate it like that. Sorry, Rashi does. Uh, the Targum, Targum Onkelos, translates Ne'ermu um, Mayim as Hakimu Mayim. The waters were wise. So I saw that Mirma can mean guile but can also mean Chochmah if there's no Yetzirah in play. Waters can't be tricky in a negative way because waters have no Yetzirah, they're inanimate. So you can't say that the waters were behaving deceitfully. So what the waters were doing, the Targum translates as Chochmah. Similarly here, you have Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, can't be acting in a bad way. You know why? Because his Yetzirah wouldn't be telling, he wouldn't have a Yetzirah to tell him to go and deceive his father. He's acting out of pure motives. He's doing what his mother tells him. He's doing what is necessary to safeguard the inheritance of Palestine to benefit us. So he's doing the right thing. So you can't ascribe to him um, a negative judgment. Like you can't ascribe to the waters negative judgment because that's absurd. It's just as absurd for, to, to say that Yaakov acts with guile. So just as with the case of the waters, we have to translate a word very similar to Mirama as Chachma. So here, Rashi also translates Mirama as Chachma, because in the case of Yaakov Avinu, it just can't be that he's acting in an underhand, tricky, negative way. Hence the translation as Chachma. Okay. Um, we have a long Rashi coming up. Um, no, I'll tell you what, I don't want to rush it in the next four minutes. So uh, we will start next week with Pasuk Lamad Vav. As you can see from your text, there's a long rush coming up, so we'll give it the time that it deserves.